Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Industry Night. I'm Nikki Nellis, your host. You may know me from around town. I have the website, thelistareyouonit.com, the online e-zine that goes out to over 40,000 subscribers. And we write about every food and wine event going on in the D.C. metro area. So if you want to eat and drink and enjoy, you should totally check that out. Of course, you can hear me every Sunday live on 1500 with Foodie and the Beast. Yesterday, we just celebrated our 11-year anniversary on air, which was very exciting. And in a couple of months, we'll be celebrating two years on air here with Industry Night, so I really appreciate you joining me today. I'm so excited about this show. I mean, I'm always excited about every show, but this is something that's sort of close to my heart. It looks like one of my guests just broke the mic. No, I'm just joking. Um, so I really love featuring on the show people in and around the D.C. area who are doing really interesting things. They're passion projects that they make their professions and not everybody can do that and it's always terrific to highlight local craft artisans who are really changing the landscape of what's happening in DC. Um, And I want to talk about all the people who are here today, and of course, the person who brought them together. So uh, Bart Yamblowski, who has actually been on the show before, owns Dawson's Market, which is out in Rockville, Maryland. And they have a real commitment to featuring local artisan products. And as a grocery store goes, that's no easy feat. So later in the show, we'll be talking to Bart and all these fabulous people he brought in today to talk about, of course, all of their products, but how they also work together. And I just want to say who we have in studio. So we have Mark Ross with us. He is the president of Metro Microgreens. So this is living food. And he brought some beautiful samples in studio. So we will be tasting and talking. Also, um, Stephanie and Lee, I don't have your last names. Oh, Stephanie and Lee Nichols. Hi. Yes. So they're with uh, Pinkava. It's a coffee company. Um, They have a reason for that name, and we're going to get into that when they're on later in the show. Um, Michael Akendel. Did I say it right? Because I didn't ask before you came in studio. He is doing a low-calorie whipped frozen Greek yogurt. He brought it in studio. Um, I'm like sitting here looking at it because I'm nervous it's going to start to melt soon. But it's called Sweet Kiwi, and we'll be tasting it on air. And lastly, we have Brett Robinson, who is the co-founder of Silver, Silver, excuse me, Silver Branch Brewing Company, which is in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, and he's been a real, um, you've made real inroads to bring brewing to Montgomery County, Maryland. So we're going to hear all about that in a little bit. But first, we always like to start the show with a little sort of DC insider, somebody who uh, is sort of notable and worth taking note of uh, in the DC market. And uh, a lot of you, if you're in DC, have probably already heard of Holly Simmons. She is the owner of She Loves Me. It's this fabulous Flower Shop. I feel like Flower Shop is not enough to explain what it is. It is a, um, it's just an overflow of plants and life and flowers up in Petworth. And Holly and I know each other from way back because she used to be with the Washington Post, uh, covering a lot of the food scene in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for joining us today, Holly. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks for the introduction. Absolutely. So let's talk about a little bit about how you went from being a journalist to 
a flower shop. I know there was something along the way. You sure. did that Lemon Collective, which sure. still exists, exactly. obviously. Yep. So let's talk about the progression. Absolutely. So I studied English in college mm-hmm. and naturally afterwards fell into journalism. Mm-hmm. I worked at NPR for a couple of years, bounced around a little bit, and then ended up at the Washington Post covering food. All along the way, I've always been interested in tinkering and making my own clothing. My mom was a seamstress, so I really grew up just pulling things apart, putting them back together, figuring out how they're made. You're a DIY kind of person. I love DIY, yes. And so as part of that, I really fell in love with succulents uh, and terrariums specifically. Mm -hmm. And this was maybe five or six years ago before they were on every surface. Right. I mean, so that's what I think is really interesting is that you were one of the first ones that I saw who was doing this terrarium making classes. Like you were doing something really different. Yeah. So what you. was it? I can't, I hate saying that word, succulents. Well, it's I know. just like, <laughs> there's just something wrong with that word. So anyway, what was it about that kind of plant that really like engaged you? So I think like most trends, um, it was succulents come from the West Coast mm-hmm. and it was right around when like avocado toast was hitting off right. and like I think just as I thought part you were going to say avocado toast was big I'm like it's still big uh, yeah, it's no. on every menu <laughs> go ahead but when people were first taking notice and I think as part of that wave you know that boho chic mm-hmm. um, you know succulents made their way east mm-hmm. and I had been interested in them and read everything online about how to take care of them and how to care for them quickly realized these stories and these DIYs were written by people on the west coast mm-hmm. with much more sunlight different weather completely so I really took about a year learning how to keep them alive on the East Coast. Um, and because, again, this was a few years before, right? everywhere now. But. but wait, were you the one who started with the dinosaur? Wasn't yes. that you? Yes. So now those are everywhere. Everywhere. But that was your creation? <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't seen it, look it up. She did this dinosaur, like a plastic dinosaur. Yeah. You spray painted it gold, mm-hmm. dug out the center, mm-hmm. and put a little succulent thing in yeah. there, right? Yeah, so now they're distributed through Urban Stems in right. Philly, Texas, all throughout the... Oh, in California. Everywhere. Because a friend yep. of mine just got one in California. Oh, my goodness. Just so you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a fabulous gift. Yeah. Okay, so you got into succulents. Yes. Lemon Collective. Yes. How so did that start? I was still at the Post when all of this was happening. So I was, like, spending $50 on Ubers before I even got to the office. I was, mm-hmm. like, going up to the wholesaler to buy plants and going to Home Depot to buy soil, then going to work and banging out a story. It was crazy. Um and I was running out of room in my house. My poor roommate, I put dirt in almost every piece of china she had because <laughs> I was teaching on my dining room table. So I was looking, I had been looking for a place to do this outside of my home, something a little more professional with a little more space for storage. And I fell onto this building on Georgia Avenue. A friend of mine had just bought it and inquired if I knew somebody. And I was like, actually, I'm kind of interested. So together with my two good friends, Catherine Zaremba, and Lenny Giffen, we founded mm-hmm. the Lemon Collective. Mm-hmm. And this was also while I was still at the Post. So they would be there painting and designing, and I would be writing and just, like, wishing I was with them and looking but at But when you Insta. say they were painting and designing, this is, um, you were hosting classes for people, yes. right? You were yes. doing all sorts of different yes. DIY, crafty Exactly. Things. So they were influential in really getting the space together and making it presentable. It mm-hmm. used to be a, di- um, a deli. Mm-hmm. It was just, it had been there for years. So okay. together we, we all, all... We all have an image of yes. what it looked like. Yes. <laughs> together we all, you know, redesigned it, made it a nice cozy space, and then we used it as a shared studio. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody could come and teach a class if you wanted to teach a class on podcasting, you know, how to brew your own beer, and we would help you market the class and sell tickets hmm. and provide a space. 
And that space still exists. It is, yes. Well, we moved it. Um, the Georgia Ave location is closed, but we moved it up to Upshur Street right next to She Loves Me Now. So now how did that come to be? So the tenant that was there previously decided to leave. It was it was like a fabulous consignment. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, I mean, it, it had been cool. there forever. Mm-hmm. Bentley's. Yes. Um, and it was available the weekend of Valentine's Day, which as a florist is probably the worst possible time to sign a lease on an entirely new building. Right. But I just did it. And <laughs> so we've been there since February. And it's interesting that you consider yourself a florist. I, don't th- I know that's what you do, but I don't think of you that way because I think about plants first. Right. Yeah. And so that was kind of how I naturally fell into flowers, doing potted succulents, doing potted plants. People were starting to ask, can you put a succulent in my bouquet? Sure. Mm-hmm. I always say yes and figure it out. That's, right. Again, I learned that from my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just naturally evolved into plants and flowers. And it's funny you say that because I had to hire a florist because I learned pretty quickly when you open a flower shop, you don't touch flowers. You're emailing and in meetings. And sure. So uh, I have a florist that does most of the work. But there's a very specific aesthetic mm-hmm. that goes with your whole style, yes. whether it's the Lemon Collective or She Loves Me. Yeah. You, you know, it's not your... It's not your mother's or your grandmother's mm-hmm. flower shop. Yeah. So how would you explain your aesthetic to Thank people? Thank you. Um, it's a little wild. You know, um, you come in and you, there's so many colors, so many textures, so many things to touch and to Yeah, smell. you're really hit hard when you come in. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. and Controlled I, chaos. Exactly. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma came to visit and she was like, there is way too much stuff in here. And I was like, perfect. Right. You know, <laughs> I knew, nailed it. You nailed it. Yes. <laughs> Um, some people get it. Some people are a little overwhelmed, but, you know, we're happy to help and walk mm-hmm. you through it. But um, I like to think that that aesthetic spills out into our arrangements as well. We use a lot of greenery. It's a little looser. It's not these tight, like, super constructed arrangements. We work with a lot of local flowers, which just naturally have a gorgeous, you know, bend to them and a flow to them. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't like perfection. If something is straight, I'll go up and, like, tilt it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thrive in chaos, so that's... So, but for your audience, because if they're ordering flowers from you, how do you guide them to put together a bouquet or put together an arrangement yeah. that is going to be suited for them? So I always ask what it's for, mm-hmm. just because I'm curious and I want to know where this is going to end up. That's and it's a journalist in you. You yeah, can't help sure. yourself. You have to ask those questions. <laughs> and I know when people are trying to, to hide something, of and that's course. when I keep taking. Right. Um, but... Typically, I understand what it's for, and, you know, uh, different flowers have different symbolism. So if I have a yellow rose and the bouquet is for a friend, I know that yellow roses mean friendship. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, I'll try to incorporate something significant and special and unique for that person. Uh, other times, we really just work with what's freshest and what's local. So people call, and they have very specific requests, and sometimes I have to be like, you know, peonies aren't it. available in December. Right. Um, you know, but we do have these lovely... Whatever. But when you say local, where are you getting local? Like you've said local a couple yeah. times. Where are you getting flowers from that are actually local? Sure. So we work with three primary farms. Butterby uh, is out in Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two Boots is out in uh, also Baltimore County. And then Mona Casey Farms is on Frederick. Okay. So local Right. So are they like hoop, like greenhouses, hoop farms? I mean, what they are they? acres and acres of, of farmland. And they just work so tirelessly and so hard to... Mm keep 
the flowers in good shape and you know it's it's hard work and there's so many factors that can impact a crop and you know you're kind of at the will of nature absolutely no no doubt all right let's talk a little bit about plants yeah because just like the restaurant scene in dc has exploded so have plants as a (laughs) must-have as a part of your environment everywhere yes we only have one plant in here which is weird but (laughs) people are obsessed yes and some people have a problem, like Tiffany McIsaac. I've, already, I've like, I told her she needs to check into rehab. Like, it's enough with the plants. So what is it about plants, like with millennials specifically, mm-hmm. but even as a form of interior design at this point? So with millennials specifically, I would guess that most of them live in apartments. Most mm-hmm. of them live in a multi-unit building, no access to outdoors. You know, we have lovely parks in D.C., but sometimes you want to see that Sent in front so front and center. So I think a lot of people see plants as a way to bring nature in, mm-hmm. um, and I just think plants in general are very rewarding. It's nice to come home at the end of the day and see a new bud or mm-hmm. you know see a new leaf unfurl. Um, that's if you're taking good care of them, and you know which. I have to be honest, plants are really finicky They're and so super hard. Yes. So tell for an apartment dweller. Yes. With Partial light. Yes. What would you recommend? I would recommend a ZZ plant. Okay. They're some of my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, They have big, long stalks and lots of little leaves. They're waxy. They're shiny. They grow pretty quickly. It's a very rewarding plant. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to do much for it, and it doesn't require a lot of sunlight. Okay. I'll take two. Okay. (laughs) Um, Snake plants are another good option. Uh, Basically, I... There are a lot of low-light plants that will thrive in an apartment, but I advise against what I call mall plants, mm-hmm. and that's basically anything you would find in a mall. You mean like peace lilies? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. So Why do you advise against them? Well, so like in fashion and in food, there are trends mm-hmm. in plants, and I would consider the peace lily past its coolness. Okay, I do have a really big one in my house. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with okay. it, but if you're I trying to be really like... a really big one in my house. Well, that sounds cool then. Yes. If that's like... It's massive. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'd like to see that. Right. <laughs> it is. It's really big. Um, no, but I understand yeah. that. Okay, and I, I do have a snake plant. Yeah, good. But How's it doing? Well, I had to buy another snake plant. I don't know what happened <laughs> okay. to the snake plant. I got a lot of people who wanted to doctor it for me and tell um, me, but actually what I did, which I am so not DIY, like... I call somebody to help put in a light bulb. Like I just, I just don't do that kind of stuff. I'm not good with that kind of things. Mm-hmm. I'm good at talking. That's what I do. And I'm yes. good at eating and I'm good at cooking, but I am not good at crafts. Yeah. Um, so, but I potted it with a new plant. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. It's still, it's all still alive a week and a half later. Yeah. I'll keep you posted. I'm sure you'll be dying to know. I am. I'm okay. curious. And snake plants and succulents and ZZ plants and the low, the more low maintenance plants. Mm-hmm. The hardest part is just leaving them alone. I think people have a tendency to want to check like, in on it's them. like having a fish yes you want to yeah. feed it all the time exactly exactly <laughs> That's why they die. But I, I joke that you should really treat these plants like someone you have a crush on mm-hmm. just ignore it and they will love you okay <laughs> but succulents are not easy in, inside they should be outside right? they do need a ton of sunlight but not a lot of water so a lot of times what happens is people will just overwater them mm-hmm. and that's what's the demise okay yeah all right well just quickly yeah. uh since we are in the line hotel and uh, when people check in here and they go up to the rooms, they mm-hmm. hear us on air. So if uh, a tourist is here in DC and you're like, here's a way to spend the day in DC, yeah. how would Holly Simmons spend the day in DC? 
I would start at Ellie. Me too. Really? I live right there. I'm surprised I don't oh, see you. Because yeah. I don't go at breakfast that early. Oh, okay. I actually love it for lunch. Okay, yeah. They it's have so great. Good. They have something called the best breakfast sandwich, and it's not an exaggeration. No, it's, it's just fabulous. this like buttery, melty, cheesy, bacony bite. Mm. Uh, so I would start breakfast there, and then I love um, loyalty books on Upshur Street, just across from our shop, is yep. amazing. Hannah's doing really cool programming and getting a lot of uh, different voices on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And for lunch, maybe the line, actually. I'm not okay. even, like, trying to pander. <laughs> I just right. love their Caesar salad here. Right, we were just talking about Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, my shop. I would definitely come right. visit. And if you're here for a special occasion, we do deliveries. We do all sorts of, um, you know, special things that we can send flowers to your room. Fantastic. Anything. Okay, great. Tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram and also online. Yes. So on Instagram, we are at she loves me DC, all one word. And our website is shelovesme.com. And I, I joked last time, but I did spend a lot of money on that. So please don't forget the URL. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for Thank joining you. us, Holly. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we're going to open this back up. So Bart Yamblaski, I've known Bart for a long time. Um, he was working at Dawson's Market originally and then took over Dawson's Market, (laughs) um, which is this fabulous independently owned grocery store in Rockville, Maryland. And there's just not a lot of independently owned grocery stores anymore. So what made you decide to take that kind of plunge? Well, I've been interested in food for a really long time. It probably started with my father taking me to restaurants in D.C. I'm from Baltimore, but we used to come to D.C. on the weekends and try food. And then I ended up going to school in New Orleans where I got the taste of Creole food and and just have always been interested in food. So Mm -hmm. I started my career out out of college with um, uh, Freshfields. Which, if you're from the area, you know Freshfields was... Was Whole Foods. Yeah, it became Whole Foods. Right. Um, and so I just was really always interested in food, but um, I wanted something that was unique. I didn't want the conventional side. I didn't want the large chain. I wanted to be able to provide great service and great tasting food and unique experience for customers. And um, Dawson's just really seemed to be the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity presented itself uh, for me to take over ownership back in December of last year and been going straight great ever since. So. Well, that's terrific to hear for people who aren't familiar with the Dawson's sort of ethos, like how you do things, why don't you give us a little bit of an elevator speech? Sure. So so Dawson's, we are very focused on local products, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, we're also focused on healthy products. So we have a really long list of standards that we follow. Um, travels around the entire store. Uh, we are a full grocery store. So we have every department you would find in a regular grocery store. Uh, we also have a full production kitchen. I mean, you are a regular grocery store. We are, yes, you know, we you are. You said like regular. I mean, yeah, you are a grocery store. We are a grocery store. Right. You're full fleshed out exactly Um, so but we have you know some things that are different and unique from larger conventional stores uh, and also some of the natural stores in the market so uh, prepared foods is a big piece for us we have a production kitchen we have a chef uh, several chefs in-house that we do production uh, for our store and then we're also very community focused so we do tons and tons of programming and events um, to support the local community um, for classes and events Uh, we also hire people that are typically difficult to hire in positions um, people that have disabilities or uh, different um, struggles that they've had in life. We try to to make places for them in the store. Uh, It's a really important part of what we're all about. Well, that's um, 
amazing and you guys do do a tremendous amount of programming which I think is really interesting why do so much programming at the market so I mean for me I think it's all about the experience mm -hmm. um, and I you know one of the ways to differentiate ourselves it is a very competitive market uh, there are so many grocery stores uh, in this market and people have to drive past one or two or maybe four to get to us mm -hmm. um, so we want to be different and so we're different by the products that we carry but we also are different by the experience um, so you can come in there's always something happening in the store whether it's a demo, it's a class, um, it's just you know a place to hang out. We want to be a gathering place in the community, not just a, a, a store to shop in. Well, which makes sense because you are in Rockville Town Center, and there's not really a nat you know it makes sense for you guys where you are Correct. to sort of be a natural gathering place for the people who live there and for people who are coming in. Correct. Why be so dedicated to locals? Um, again, it's a distinction. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that sets us apart from the competition. Uh, it's something that's important to me personally. Um, I'm very passionate about the environment and about healthy food. And, and typically the local, and certainly everybody that's here today, falls into that category just by nature of being an independent um, you know, uh, entrepreneur who's trying to do an artisan product. They tend to be a healthier alternative just from the get-go because mm -hmm. of the way that they make their product. They're local, so you have all those advantages of transportation cost and packaging and things like that. So it just really fits our model. Excellent. Well, let's start with um, Mark Ross. Mark is the president of Metro Microgreens, and I got a little education off air all about microgreens. He brought in a huge selection. Well, what seems to me to be a huge selection, mm -hmm. although it's only a sample of the kinds of products that he does. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your living food project? Sure. Uh, so we grow all of our microgreens hydroponically, mm -hmm. and we grow on a coconut husk, or some people call it a coconut coir. Mm -hmm. So it's the outside of the coconut shell, and we import that, and we grow directly on it. It's all organic. It's not treated in any way. We grow everything in Rockville, Maryland, so we're 100% uh, sourced here. Well, let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Microgreens is very niche. It is. What, what sort of drove you to get into that business specific? Right. So I grew up with it. My dad was always passionate about farming. And even though farming microgreens or no, just no, farming, farming in general? Okay. Just growing our own food. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a fair amount of land, but uh, we didn't do it as for a living. And then as I got older, my father had passed and I wanted to kind of keep that tradition alive. And then when the Obamas came into office, Michelle Obama announced that she was going to start a school garden. So right. I, my kids were in elementary school at the time. And mm -hmm. I said, why don't I approach the school to see if they'll, they'll do a school garden so we can teach kids where their food is grown, how to grow their food, and they'd be much more apt to eat their mm -hmm. own food if they grow it. So I did that, and I did that for 10 years, strictly volunteer, never charged any child. We just raised the money that we needed. Mm -hmm. And my wife said to me a few years ago, well, you're so passionate about it. Why don't you do it and make money? Right. <laughs> so, Which sometimes sounds like a good idea right. and sometimes not. Exactly. Sometimes your passion is just your passion, right. but it doesn't always mean it should be your profession. Right. So we kind of fell into microgreens. We had met some people out of Baltimore, mm -hmm. and they were doing it, and we kind of uh, felt like we could do it very easily and kind of take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. uh, so we took a little bit of what they were doing, and then we kind of adapted it to what would work well for us. So for the uninitiated, microgreens is a very broad umbrella. It Can is. You, so just, for example, discuss some of the product you brought in today. Sure, happy to. So... 
we typically grow 15 to 20 varieties every week, but there's way, way um, more that you could grow. There's edible flowers. Mm-hmm. There's all different ethnic uh, herbs and vegetables. So what I brought today is a small sampling. I brought pea shoots, mm-hmm. which is like a sugar snap pea. I brought up a spicy purple radish, so mm-hmm. it's like a deep, rich purple color with a nice bite to it. Cilantro, which is one of our most popular, and uh, fennel, which will have the licorice anise flavor. Chervil, mm-hmm. which is unusual. Most people are not familiar with chervil. Chefs are. It's a French herb, and it'll have a parsley tarragon flavor. Mm-hmm. I have a dark opal basil. I gr- uh, everybody likes basil, but I wanted to grow something a little different than the, the sweet basil. Mm-hmm. And lastly, uh, broccoli. Broccoli uh, is one of our most popular and Probably half the reason is because of the nutritional benefits. So the broccoli looks like sprouts with little greens on top. Right. Since we're on radio, I have to uh-huh. describe it. Um, so, like for so a lot of the things like the pea shoots you see in salads, a lot of the microgreens you see, like if you go into a restaurant, you know it's sort of an accent on a dish. Right. But you're selling these in Dawson for people to take home. So like the broccoli greens, where are you putting that? What are you doing with that? So people use them in all different ways. They'll add them, of course, to salads. They'll add them to sandwiches. They'll add them to soups. Mm-hmm. They'll add them to burgers, to veggie burgers, to uh, sauces. They'll add them in all different uh, uses. Smoothies is very popular also. I bet. Uh, so they're just so nutritionally dense. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of studies on microgreens. WebMD says they're, they're up to 40 times more nutrient dense than the full size varieties. NIH is doing a study right now on specifically on broccoli because it's gotten so much press recently. Fascinating. So a lot of times people buy them for the nutritional, uh, uh-huh. as well as the flavor. Okay, great. All right, well, we're going to get back to you in a okay. little bit. Next, I want to go to Stephanie and Lee Nichols. Hi. But so, um, Lee, why don't you take that mic? There you go. So we, we have a lot of people in studio today, and we only have so many mics. So you guys are you guys are doing coffee. You're roasting. Yes. How did you get into that business? Oh, okay. Um, so in 2014, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, at the age of 29. Oh my and God, I'm so sorry. I needed some kind of hobby um, to really kind of take my mind off of what was happening and, and kind of have a, something for me to do. So mm-hmm. I started roasting coffee in my garage. Um, okay, yeah. Let's back up. So roasting coffee, were yeah. you like this avid coffee drinker? Was there something about coffee that you really loved? I mean, yeah, that's an odd one. It to is. To be like, I totally have to deal odd. with this, so I'm going to do that instead. Yes. So um, with my breast cancer diagnosis, I had uh-huh. a bilateral mastectomy. So there was some oh range of motion limitations. So right. I couldn't do like your typical things like yoga and going to the gym and all the things that that they tell you to do to to stay healthy while you're recovering. Exactly. So I needed something that I could kind of meditate to and coffee for me um, has been kind of like a comfort food, if you will. So Uh some of my fondest memories are going home for the holidays and having that nice hot cup of coffee with my mom and my sister and my spouse and my nieces. Uh Um, And so it was kind of like this comfortable thing for me um and so yeah so I started about myself a little one pound roaster and and just started and just started how did you start sourcing beans how did you start how did you figure out what you wanted to make that cup of coffee for you to give you that comfort it was a lot of trial and error so Mm -hmm. did um, you burn a lot of batches oh I burned I smoked us out of the house so many times (laughs) that's why I got banned to the garage because it started in the kitchen and then 
the fire alarms were going off, it was time to go to the garage. Uh Um, But we started really small. So we started importing um, from a couple of like really small importers. And then one day Lee came home and I said, I want to start a coffee roastery. And Lee said, let's do it. So you you were totally on board. You were like, yeah, let's make this happen. I basically was. I prior to that, I had not drunk a single cup of coffee. Not a single cup prior to wow um, her roasting. Yeah. So that's actually so, probably a good thing. It's probably a good because thing you had a totally clean palate. Yep. Yeah. You had no idea what you were judging it against. Untouched. You would just know what you liked and yes. didn't like. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. And so I think that that actually um, helped me um, with regard to um, tasting and mm-hmm. actually um, being a completely unbiased right um because like soundboard coffee can be really bitter depending on how it's roasted it can be really smooth and creamy like it all depends on the desired effect absolutely Absolutely. so what was your desired effect with with your initial product it's funny because when we started um i was a dark roast drinker through and through i wanted it burnt and bitter and dark like my soul, right? Mm-hmm. And then as I started um, kind of becoming Was that more the cancer talking? Maybe that was the, the cancer, cancer talking. talking. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and then as we've grown and started really doing this more professionally, um, I love the fruity coffees. Mm-hmm. I love the Indonesian coffees. You know, Papua New Guinea Tamuza is one of my favorite ones that we do. Um, so it's it's been really fun for us to try a ton of different things with this. So... Hopefully you're healthy. Yes, yes. five okay. years. Oh, well, I thank hit God. my five-year anniversary. Congratulations. So. Thank That's you. amazing. Thank you. So with that good news, now that you both have this business together, mm-hmm. how did you go from playing around in your garage mm-hmm. or basement and making it a business? So it's an excellent question. So we, I mean, that's what I do. Yeah, this is excellent. (laughs) Um, So in Maryland, it doesn't. We don't fall under the cottage food law. So we knew from the beginning we needed a commercial space. Um, So we went on the hunt, and we then started leasing what we now call our glam garage because Mm -hmm. it's basically a giant garage. It's much bigger than my home garage. Um, And we bought one of the best roasters on the market that you could buy, and just went for it. And, okay, so you're making the product. Yes. But, and I'm not telling you something that you don't know, there's a lot of roasters out there. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's first wave, second wave, third wave. I mean, mm-hmm. we had Michael Weinstein in here. She told us about all the different waves of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this, like, we're in fourth wave now, yes. right? So it's mm-hmm. a total new world out there. So how do you go from, how do you get out there in front of your coffee drinker? in this market that's kind of saturated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, So what really sets us apart is that we are women-owned and operated, and Mm -hmm. there's only a small handful of us in the tri-state area that can say that we're women-owned and we roast the coffee ourselves. Sure. Um, What also sets us apart heavily is that we donate 10% to breast cancer research and early detection programs. Hence the name. Hence the name Pink Ava. Right. Yes. Pink. Pink. And and then the Ava. But without Java. Exactly. All right. On that note, uh-huh. I'm going to take a quick break. Yes. This is Nikki Nellis. It's Industry Night. Local artisans are in the house. We'll be back in just a sec.
Hey, everybody, it's Nikki Nellis. Thanks for joining us again on Industry Night. We are in studio today with a variety of local craft artisans. And I feel like that term is completely overused these days, but this is legit. These are people from the DC metro area who are really taking their passions and making it their professions. And they are bringing in a huge variety of their products to sort of discuss what they're doing. And it all is thanks to Bart Yamblowski of Dawson's Market because they are huge proponents of the local craft artisan scene. And he, uh, Bart has really gathered everybody in studio with us today. So I want to start with our next guest, um, Brett Robinson, who um, apparently I know from like a long while back because he was with Jeff Black at uh, Republic. Into Tacoma right. Park, right? Yeah. So you were the beer guy there, right? That's right. Okay. So what did that involve for you? Like, how did you get into beer? Uh, so I got into beer probably back in 2007. Um, I was on a when sm- you were 10. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was uh, I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was with a buddy <laughs> on a s- don't worry. Nobody's going to arrest you now, dude. It's totally fine. <laughs> Well, I was with a buddy on a snowboarding trip in Vermont, mm-hmm. and uh, we had sort of, you know, we were young 20s, and we just sort of rolled into a bar, or what we thought was a bar at the time, and it happened to be the Vermont Pub and Brewery right in downtown Burlington, and I had only ever known things like Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light, being a college student at that time, mm-hmm. um, prior to that, and I ordered a beer, and when I smelled it and then ultimately when I tasted it it was kind of like my eyes went wide and the room zoomed out and I was like what? Right. I mean like beer can have flavor um, and I think that was sort of the moment that had me hooked forever mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of where I got into it and then but I, you did a lot of training it's not like it was just you know you just drank a lot of beer yeah I did a lot I did do a lot of drinking of beer mm-hmm. um, <laughs> well that's part of the training yes that is part of the training mm-hmm. but um I was in uh, engineering school and then I graduated in a finance and you know did that for a period of time but the whole time I was a home brewer and a super passionate um, sort of craft beer mm-hmm. just drinker and I spent some time in Europe and ultimately decided that I wanted to make beer my career um, and so I Moved out uh, from living in North Jersey back into my dad's basement, Mm -hmm. gave up like a high paying job and he was not happy about it. I have no doubt. (laughs) And I told him at the time, I was like, dad, someday I'm going to open a brewery. And he was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Right. But here we are. Well, so similar to our coffee conversation, there's been a huge, uh, a huge explosion of craft breweries, um, especially in the D.C. market. Uh, not so much in Montgomery County. That's just sort of starting. So is that why you decided to take your product there and begin there? Yeah, I actually, um, when I was making this transition, um, talking to some friends, uh, and then also I came across this really interesting book, um, and it was called like The Average Millionaire Next Door. And mm-hmm. it tells the virtues of kind of like, um, you know, n- trying to learn about something before getting involved. And so you were roasting coffee at home for a long time before you go down this road. And you were a home brewer. I was a home brewer. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, the only way that I'm going to be successful in the long run is if I just throw myself into the industry and learn anything and everything I can Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, get ready. And so 
I think, you know, my business partner and I both came from within the industry, which is atypical to the sort of normal brewery ownership model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's benefiting us quite a bit is those years of experience. And so what would you say about your products? Tell us a little bit, like you brought in some products today. What would you say about the products, the kind of beers that you're brewing? So we are influenced by the four major brewing cultures. Mm -hmm. And I think both separately in our lives throughout our travels, we have found this really compelling story of beer that sometimes gets lost in like the hazy IPAs, for example, which Mm -hmm. is something that we also love, but is very singularly American. Um, Whereas like a ultra crisp Pilsner might be more like a German thing or like a real ale, something you might get in like a British pub. And Mm so I think we wanted to take all of those concepts and put them under one roof and then brew them and sort of show everybody else who might be interested in beer or people who are new to beer, like what a wide world there is associated with it. So how many different beers are you brewing right now? I couldn't tell you. Like you can't a tell ton. Me. A ton. Like more than 10? <laughs> well, it's funny. We have four flagships. Okay. One is represented by each of the four major brewing cultures. But uh-huh. we're pretty much putting out a new beer every other week or so. And um, so I don't know what the law is in Montgomery County. So can people come in? Do a tour of the brewery and taste? Yeah, Montgomery County is one of the most fascinating things. Um, You know, all throughout beer and beer history, there's this study of, like, the legal environment and how it shapes the beer environment Mm -hmm. and sort of this uh, relationship between those two things. And um, there was this sort of artificial tamping down of a really exciting craft beer movement from happening in Montgomery County, but there was still a lot of interested beer drinkers. Mm -hmm. Um, And the laws started changing very rapidly back in 2014. And that has given way to the development of a lot of new breweries. Like we're in Silver Spring and from my front door, you could get to two other breweries within a 10 minute walk. In DC or in Montgomery County? All in Montgomery County. Oh, okay. Because also in Silver Spring. Right. And then also in Silver Spring, like if you just cross the line, yeah. There's also like more breweries. And then there's a t- there's a ton on the red line now. Right. And so it's, you know, I think what's happening in the beer industry is I refer to it as like the Europeification of America where there's kind of like people are going increasingly closer to home for the beer that they buy. Mm-hmm. So there's not, in my mind, there's not a limit in terms of the number of breweries that could be built. But I think there is a limit in terms of the size of any given brewery that I would set out to build in this day and age. I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to get back to you. Obviously, we should all be drinking beer. Is everybody drinking <laughs> his beer? Okay, great. And I want to move on to Michael Eichendell. Hi. So. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so nice of you to come in. So, low-calorie whipped frozen Greek yogurt. Yes. Where did that passion come from? What did you eat? What did you taste? What were you like, I have to do this? So I'd love to take credit for it, but I can't take all the credit for it. Okay, God, you're so honest. Just take all the credit. (laughs) Nobody knows. So Sweet Kiwi is a family business, and Mm -hmm. we actually have three brick-and-mortar stores, international stores. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved back to the D.C. area in 2016 and been an entrepreneur. So where are the international stores? They're in Africa. Okay. Um, So I 
just generally. Okay, Africa is really big. So can you tell us like where West in Africa? Africa? Okay, West Africa. West okay. Africa. So we have okay. three stores in West Africa. So brick and mortar <laughs> so stores. So the product is from there? Serve. Okay. I wouldn't say the product is from there. As you know, frozen yogurt is a global phenomenon. Right. However, how, how we make it a little bit different is that we air whip it. Mm-hmm. And that makes the sort of calorie content much more lower. Sure. Higher in protein as well mm-hmm. as probiotics. Oh, but Greek yogurt specific. Greek yogurt specific is is relatively trending these days because a lot more people are, start, are lactose intolerant, mm-hmm. and Greek yogurt is a great alternative. Um, Wait, Greek yogurt is for the lactose intolerant? It's still, it's still, it's made for milk, but yes. it's strained, and so it because it's strained, the, it doesn't correct. Doesn't have the issues with it. Correct. So let's say that. you're like lactose intolerant, right. and like your because of your stomach lining. Most people can still eat Greek yogurt. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yes. So you decided to go with that product, correct? And you air whip it. We air whip it. So the so process what does that is mean right. So what does that mean? We source milk from a farm locally, mm-hmm. and then we strain it to create our own Greek yogurt. Okay, so you're and creating the whole product. So end to end. So mm-hmm. we take all the ingredients, mix it, and then pour it in a batch freezer. We don't fill it up all the way like most typical ice cream companies do, mm-hmm. and because we leave about forty percent of air in it. It still creates about about the same amount of content that mm-hmm. a typical machine if you fill it up all the way. So the process of doing that is called air whipping it. Okay. And so, you so can look it, at, does it create a, a super creamy product? Does the what does the air add to it? It's much more light. It's much more creamier. The texture is it's it's not very icy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you get a better texture and an overall great customer experience. Okay. And so what kind of flavors are we talking about? So. I mean, so, are you doing flavors that you do with your original stores? Or are no. you going right to the American palate? So if you look at the original store, we rotate our flavors almost every month. Mm-hmm. Today, we've probably created over 200 flavors. Everything from a Moet and Chandon um, oh, to Verve Clicquot. <laughs> uh, we've even done like a Coca-Cola flavored um, frozen mm-hmm. yogurt. But for the U.S. market specifically, we've worked very closely with Union Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, we were part of the accelerator. And we did a couple like market research and we realized if you look at the top five um, actual frozen dessert um, flavors, mm-hmm. specifically vanillas, like top five, all vari- variations of vanilla. Sure. So you have to come to market with a vanilla. Okay. We also have chocolate hazelnut. Well, it's sort of like the gateway drug, right? It is. Like everybody's going to test your vanilla. It's like when Correct. you go to a restaurant, if you want to know how good it is, Correct. get the chicken. Like you always know Correct. based on how they do that dish. Correct. So some of the flavors that came to market is we actually looked at the... the um, over the last two years, the sales of anything that has rosé on it has grown by 200%. I know. I think I have a lot to do with that problem. So, <laughs> so we brought to market a raspberry rosé. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also brought to market this particular favorite that you're going to try today, which is a mango palm mint. A mango? Palm mint. So it's like fermented juice from palm trees. Oh, fabulous. Why palm trees? Because they're healthy. Okay. Lots of great health benefits and mm-hmm. it, great combination with mint and mango. No, it's delicious. Tell me um, about the calories because you're you're pushing the fact that it's a low calorie product. Absolutely. So all our pints are all under 320 calories. The entire pint. The entire pint. Not one serving, all four servings. That's incredible. So we always tell people just because it's lower in calorie, sweet kiwi still tastes better. So mm-hmm. in comparison to other products in the market, I'm not going to mention any specific brands. You don't want to that- show... You can throw some shade. You can't... None of the competitors are in studio and they're not my advertisers. But, you know, what a lot of customers really love about our product is that they say, yes, it's lower in calorie, but it tastes better. Well, it is really tasty and you do get 
the sense of the Greek yogurt. Do you Correct. know what I mean? Unlike, unlike typical ice cream or other yogurt products, like sometimes you don't know that it's yogurt. Mm-hmm. And I, if I'm going to eat frozen yogurt, I want to know that it's yogurt. So Absolutely. you do taste the yogurt mm-hmm. in it, but it's not a detraction. It's, it it's, adds to the flavor. Correct. So it's, I always tell people, as a company, we don't purchase any sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, all our products are much more tartier mm-hmm. than actual like super sweet. Um, however, when people do Which want... Which I feel is very popular now. I think is. people want a less sweet product. Correct. But natural tastes. Right. More natural. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So where do you sell your products? Because so you don't products, have a brick and mortar. We don't have a brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Um, right now, we're sold in places like Dawson's Market. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're sold in just under 30 stores. Okay. Yes, organic, streets market. But you're not still at Union Kitchen, are you? We're still in Union Kitchen. That's where you're producing? We're producing in Union Kitchen. We're also sold in Union Kitchen as well. Okay. Um, those uh, incubators are amazing. It sort of changed the world for craft artisans to sort of get started. Absolutely. They've really helped us in terms of filling that experience gap. Sure. Um, and for a lot of times, I mean, there's been so many lessons and so many mistakes we've made along the way that they were able to help reduce some of those mistakes mm-hmm. and help fast track our time to market. Yes. I mean, so um, so if you're not familiar with the incubators here in D.C., there's uh, Tastemakers, there's Union Kitchen, there's um, Al has been in, Al Goldberg from Mass Hall has been in before. Um, and these are fabulous places where people with a product concept or idea can really test it out and be given, it's sort of like... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You can sort of get a space and share it. It's like a timeshare. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also provide you a lot of guidance, you know, whether it's PR or marketing or introductions to stores like uh, Dawson. So, Bart, I kind of want to bring it back to you. Do you work with the incubators as a way to find out about some of the products like that we have here today? We do. So we certainly work with Union Kitchen and we have a number of products in the store that have come from Union Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have, uh, we're fortunate to have a lot of people come to us. Um, we have... Uh, but that doesn't sound normal. I mean, so when you say people come to you, do they just walk in the store and be like, hey, check out my product? I think I, I think that the word is out. The Dawson's is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had, you know, some really great success stories of people who've come in to us even before, just when they have a concept, actually before they even have a product mm-hmm. to bring to market. And they'll talk to us about pricing and sourcing and packaging and things like that. And we're happy to spend time, you know, with new entrepreneurs trying to figure those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also go out and source. I mean, we, we visit the farmer's markets, which is a great place to see people that are in that first stage. They're in, still, somebody had mentioned the cottage industry, you know, they're still in that cottage. They're not ready to go into a commercial kitchen yet. Right. But as soon as they're ready to hit that commercial kitchen, which they need to do to, to sell to retail to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go out and, and we meet people that way. Uh, and then we just, you know, also word of mouth. Uh, we hold events at the store. Um, I'm part of the Montgomery County Food Council, so I hear a lot of uh, news through that, um, mm-hmm. and just networking within you know the people around the table here, as well as the industry as a whole in, the, in Montgomery County. Well, Stephanie and Lee, how did you go about getting your product to market? was actually our very first um, wholesale account. Wow. So, yeah, um, it was a lot of, so how we kind of got started is it's it's a lot of calling. It's a lot of dropping in and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Here's mm-hmm. here's the product that we're creating. Are you doing farmer's markets as well? Oh, yes. Yeah. So we do 12 farmer's markets um, in the area. So mm-hmm. we do a couple in, in um, Arlington and then several up in, in Maryland. Are you with Central Farm Markets or Fresh Farm? Um, we're at... Neither. Neither. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, neither of those. Um, but we do. We do like um, 
Maple Lawn in Fulton, Maryland. We do uh-huh. the Kentlands um, Main Street Market in Gaithersburg. Um, we do Columbia Pike um, in that So you're area. at the markets, and yes. then when Barb brought you guys in, mm-hmm. how did you, you weren't just selling their product, how did you showcase their product? Uh, I mean, so we asked, you know, there's so many products to choose from in, in any store, right. so they really need to stand out. So we, you know, ask our vendors to perform demos. You guys did a fantastic mm-hmm. job of coming in and just sampling the product in the store mm-hmm. um, at all different times um, to get to capture every different, you know, the lunch customer or the afternoon customer or the dinner customer. Um, that's really what's key to getting a product started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then good placement on the shelf and, you know, promotional and pricing and social media and all the things about building a business. Mm-hmm. But tasting the product is definitely at the top of mm-hmm. the list well I was gonna say I would when you get to talk to the customer about your product who you are and what you're doing when you're making that eye-to-eye contact and they taste it with you I assume most people are like they take it because you have that conversation with them right you know it's like the best way to sell mark does that work for you as well because I would bet people have a lot of questions when it comes to your product right so a lot of people are apprehensive at first because the micro broccoli doesn't look like broccoli right or micro carrots don't look like carrots mm-hmm. so there's a bit of a learning curve mm-hmm. but once they taste the microgreens um, they're really sold and then they get the added benefit of they're eating living food right it stays fresh for up to two living weeks food just sounds so healthy it is right it i is. just feel like that should be a new either hashtag or marketing ploy yeah. you know it just sounds like it's really something you should be adding to your right. diet and and a lot of people are concerned about where their food is grown mm-hmm. uh, so that's really important and uh, we're certified naturally grown so we don't use any synthetics any fertilizers at all mm-hmm. we just filter the water so we try to grow the real natural way and, and sell a real high quality product. And when you're doing, t- you do tastings at Dawson's? Yeah. So when you're doing the tastings and people come up, I mean, how do you, you brought in all this product today, but how do you sell it? Is it in containers? How do people buy it? Right. So for example, at Dawson's, we, mm-hmm. we'll sell it in the clamshells in the produce section. Okay. At a farmer's markets, we're at uh, 11 or 12 I think mm-hmm. uh, we'll sell it in the in the clamshells as well okay and we ship so you know we'll add ice packs and things like that and we do CSAs but again we'll package it in the clamshells so that it lasts I mean if yeah. you bring home a, a, your microgreens what's the living time for it up to two weeks up to two weeks yeah some will stay fresh a little longer we just tell people use it within two weeks okay so. that makes sense and um, what about um, Michael let's just talk about your product. Sure. How did you wind up at Dawson's? So, um, one of the great things about Union Kitchen is there are already so many vendors that are already sold at um, mm-hmm. Dawson's. So, it was put up on the board, and um, I had the opportunity to go out and visit the store. Mm-hmm. Loved it. It reminded me of the kind of store that I was shopping, mm-hmm. um, shop at. Uh, so, brought in samples, walked right in, went up to the manager, and I said, hey, you should try this. And he tasted it, and right away he said he loved it. Okay. And he said, but here's the, here's the problem. You're going to have to distribute yourself. Um, so we were able to work through those challenges. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's one of our highest selling stores. So how many flavors do they sell? How many SKUs do they sell? So they currently sell about five. Okay. And do you rotate the flavors? Um, or do they pick the... Who picks the flavors? So anytime we bring a new flavor to market, mm-hmm. we provide them an opportunity to taste it. Okay. If they like it and they have enough space, they're able to accommodate it. And do you do a lot of tastings? Absolutely. You're we there have a, a tasting tomorrow. Right. Well, we're <laughs> going to get into the tasting tomorrow, but I want to just throw back to Brett for a minute. So Brett, your relationship 
with local markets. How important is that to your business? Well, our, um, our whole distribution strategy is based around this idea that we want to be primarily based in Montgomery County in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would be hard pressed to find me in Philly or New York anytime soon within the next. It's just not your goals at the moment. It just, yeah, it's just not, I think I'd rather be, um, you know, recognizable and well appreciated in my immediate area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we talk about this concept called sell through, which is, it's one thing to, for, for a lot of breweries, you can land in a lot of places in a short period of time. It's not, the barriers to entry are not so high to get on somebody's shelf, but the but then it's got to sell. Right. And somebody has to be able to tell your story. Exactly. And that's when it comes to like doing a lot of the in-store tastings. And, um, you know, actually Dawson's was one of the first retail customers that we had selling cans of beer. And right away, first, I think week or second week we were in there, we were in there trying to do a tasting as well. And I think doing those kinds of things and making sure that you're growing in the right way mm-hmm. and sort of you know, for us, we do our, all of our own distribution as well. And so there's a geographic footprint. And, uh, I think we want to make sure that we're servicing, you know, our local market and taking really good care of the people that we do work with mm-hmm. and because they take such great care of us too. Right. You know, and if I, um, send beer far and away, I don't, I don't have the ability to go in there myself. Currently we don't sell anywhere where I can't walk in there any given day and just be, oh, hey, how's it going? I mean, I totally appreciate your commitment, but you also sound like a control freak. (laughs) Just a little bit. Which I, as a control freak, I feel like I can call one out when I see one. Um, Well, Bart, let's talk about the event that you are doing at Dawson's, which, is everybody here there tomorrow at Dawson's? Right, so let's talk about this event. Sure, so it's called Meet the Locals, and we do it, it's the second Tuesday of every month from five to seven, and we invite anywhere from 10 to 15 of our local vendors into the store. Uh, and you know, local can have a lot of meaning, so for, just to clarify what local is for us, local is 100 miles uh, the way the crow flies. So basically, just take that little protractor right, circle, thing, where right. it's called, and 100 miles out uh, is considered local for us. So, um, and we have the event, and it's very popular. It's a great opportunity for people to come in and you know meet people that are around the table here and others to really learn about where the food comes from. We also um, have some people that come in from our body care uh, department as well. So, mm-hmm. um, anything that's local. Which you in the happen store. to have an incredible sort of wellness body care right, we, yeah we do as um, well. exactly we do uh, body care supplements um, and so there are surprisingly you know a number of local vendors in that category too so which is it is interesting but the wellness category is so vast right now it's not surprising to hear that more people are getting into it right you know right. that it's not just big corporations right um, I assume CBD products are big CBD products are very big right um, uh, and there is actually I believe a local CBD that I just recently saw surprisingly but oh, interesting. Um, but there is CBD there's definitely one of our produce providers just told me on Saturday that he's starting to get into hemp growing so okay so yeah. you'll see where that goes yeah. I mean yeah. it's just such a massive trend right now are we putting CBD in anything? CBD in coffee, CBD in beer, CBD in the Greek yogurt. Anyone? My husband drinks a CBD coffee. Who knows? Maybe. I'm just telling you. We're not anymore. There's no okay. door closed. My husband is drinking a CBD coffee right now. I swear oh, to God. Yeah. Um, and what about you with your microgreens? Is there a micro hemp coming our way sometime soon? Or does it already exist? I do get asked that a lot if I'm going to be growing 
uh, cannabis, but right. right now in, in Maryland, like micro, I, like little, little, little <laughs> cannabis, just tiny ones. It, it would be it would be difficult to bring it to a farmer's market with so many families, but right. Uh, well, you don't have to smoke it; you just have right. to sell it. But yeah, maybe I should irrigate with CBD oil, right? Right. See what happens there. I don't know. I'm on the fence about CBD. I know some people like swear by it. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't. I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just not. I'm not a firm believer. Let's just put it that way. What about with the beer? You staying true to form? I think we're not going to go down that road. You're not going to go. Yet. You're right. You're going to hold on. We, uh, Let's wait and see where that trend goes. We already have one controlled substance associated with right. our product, so <laughs> we're we're happy to leave it there. Okay. And Michael, what about you when it comes to creating new products? Not necessarily CBD, because it does not sound like a a, a match. I feel like you should get high first and then eat your your product, <laughs> but. Um, but how do you how do you work within like the confines of what's available in this market? Well, for us, I'll say the most important ingredient obviously is the milk. Mm-hmm. So sourcing, you know, whether it's whole milk. So something that's really big for a lot of brands right now is organic. Right. Uh, so we're looking for organic milk producers locally. It's so difficult to find anybody that produces organic local. But the concept of local, like you said, could be a hundred miles. Uh, but I love traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, traveled to over almost 60 countries Uh, so every time I travel I'm always looking for new tastes Mm -hmm. that we can try to incorporate into our flavors Um, so that's how we discovered palm fermented palm palm juice Um, so uh, there are other couple of flavors that we're working on they're gonna we're gonna bring to market sometime next year Mm -hmm. that are gonna be unique uh, but we're always looking for unique taste out there you know, to try to like you know excite people's palates. I bet. Well, do, would you work with Bart and their market since they carry local products as a way to find sourcing for milk or fruits or whatever it is that you're looking for? Like, would, do you guys do any B two B at all? We do. We mm-hmm. we have wholesale accounts, and we have um, a number of local um, producers who buy from us. It's interesting; they'll buy product from uh, ingredients from us, and then they sell right. it back to us in the you know finished form. So very cool. Well, believe it or not, the show is over. An hour goes by very quickly. Do you want to say one more thing? I feel like you had something you want to say. Okay. Well, what I'd like to do is just go through everybody. Say your name. Say your business, and say where they can find you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm with Sweet Kiwi. Uh, mm-hmm. We make whipped frozen Greek yogurt. You can find us in Dawson's Market, Yes Organic, Streets Market, Union Kitchen, and online. All and online, of course. What's online? Uh, SweetKiwi.com. Excellent. Okay. Take the mic. My name is Brett Robinson with uh, Silver Branch Brewing Company, and you can find a bunch of our products in Dawson's Market. Mm-hmm. You can also find us at a couple other bars, um, some very close here on 18th Street mm-hmm. at uh, Smoking Rail, or of course uh, in the tap room. Excellent. So, where is the tap room? It's located in downtown Silver Spring, right on the Red Line Metro. And how do we find you online? Uh, SilverBranchBrewing.com. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm Stephanie and. Lee Nichols um, with Pink Ava Coffee Company. You can find us at Dawson's Market, The Common Market, and Harris Teeter, as well as online at pinkava.com. Excellent. Thank you, Pink Ava Coffee. I do know my own website. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes. I am Mark Ross, uh, Metro Microgreens. You can find us at Dawson's Market. Mm -hmm. You can also find us at many farmers markets around the D.C. metropolitan area. We sell online at metromicrogreens.com and our Instagram is at metromicrogreens. Excellent. Okay, and Bart, back to you. Sure, thank you. Uh, so Bart Yablonski, Dawson's Market. It's dawsonsmarket.com for all of our events, everything that's coming up. 
And we are located in Rockville Town Square, and mm -hmm. everybody that was here is available at the store. We're open seven days a week. Come you have one other event that you wanted to throw out yeah, there. Yeah, so this Saturday we have a craft market as well. So this is something that happens on the second Saturday of every month. I mean, I feel like you and Holly should talk. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, because um, she is like the craftiest. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great opportunity. We just kind of open up our space for local artisans to come in. They have to be local. They have to make their own product. It's mm -hmm. not nothing you're going to find that they bought somewhere else. Um, and it's from 12 to 3 on Saturday in our community area. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you all for coming in studio today. It is um, really inspiring to be in a room with people who really have found something that gets them excited and makes them happy. And they're thrilled to share it with others. I mean, obviously, the hope is to make a living off of it. But you're so all on your way. Um, so I appreciate you all joining me today in studio. Um, I know how hard it is to get away from the business when you're trying to run a business. Um, and look forward to seeing you tomorrow at Dawson's. Bart, thank you so much thank for putting you. this thank whole uh, crew together. It was an amazing conversation. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today. Uh, again, this is Nikki Nellis. This is Industry Night. You can hear us every Monday live from 5 to 6 here at the Gorgeous Line Hotel. Of course, you can download us and hear it on the podcast. We're on fullserviceradio.org, um, and you can hear me anytime. Of course, check me out at Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, if you want to know about all the things happening in the D.C. metro area. I uh, want to thank you for listening, and have a delicious week. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.